I remember the movie I was trying to explain to you while I was looking at his filmography. It was Stir of Echoes. That's the one where he, like, sees the girl's murder. Huh. We'll have to... <clears throat> you were telling me about that one yeah. the other night, right? Yeah, it's called Stir of Echoes. We'll have to see if we can hunt that one down. Mm. I haven't seen it in a very, very long time, so it may be complete crap now. No, I want to hunt down Reefer Madness. I want, like, I'm going to create, like... A... Now that we've done the room, like, I want to do, like, the all-time classics of stupid fucking film <laughs> not calling the room stupid as weeks go by it's becoming more and more one of my favorites that's ever I'll been made god bless you tommy was so if you're listening please please i'm trying to killer interview. penis one that you told me about forever ago yeah don't ruin it for the audience it's called pervert it's an exploitation film no i found a uh a, a thing that had like a hundred exploitation movies when i was drunk the other night for like 145 dollars and i don't almost, do that to me I almost bought this exploit. No. I love those old Don't like grindhouse fucking exploitation <laughs> no. movies, where it's just like porn stars that aren't you know doing porn at the moment and they're no. all getting killed by sharks and penis and penis penis with teeth penis with teeth. <laughs> no, I'm solid. Please don't do that to me. The, can I buy pervert? I guess you I might like it. I, I mean, probably it's, won't. <laughs> it's fucking terrible, but it's hilarious. <laughs> Watched it like three times while I was in tech school. But yeah, you like weird movies though, so. Yeah, I'm an artist, okay? Okay. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <clears throat> I love you too. <laughs> Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting the mistakes were made. No, presenting mistakes were made. Welcome to. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. <laughs> Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the newly love named. of my life, newly named Kristen Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> I need to figure out. It can't be effervescent. I need a. No, you can't get rid of effervescent. I might lead with effervescent, but I need something that flows beautiful. The effervescent Pennington, like that, that boom, ba boom, yeah, ba boom. There's always a third adjective. <laughs> I am not as creative as you led the audience on to believe. <laughs> that was you. Less than 30 seconds ago. Okay? Oh, <laughs> Normally boy. I'm just drunk and I say things before I think about them and then I write them down if they sound good. <laughs> Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. And we're here to bring you another edition of the 222 two, two, Tuesday. Eventually I'll get a drop for that, but until then, that's what you get out of me. And we're here today to discuss... 2016's The Darkness. I was going to say, I highlighted it for you. <laughs> like, do not. When I used to write it down, it was right next to the title. Well, it's right under it. We're now. still working on this format. <laughs> but 2016's The Darkness, starring motherfucking Kevin Bacon. Can you believe it? I can't believe how bad it was. Um, it had a 4.4 on IMDb, a whopping 3% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. And 19 from the audience. So IMDb was a quite a bit more generous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with the 3%. <laughs> um, ironically, most of the people that had kind of higher up positions in this movie were like people I didn't know the first thing about. Yeah. Produced by a pretty successful production company, though. Um, well, tell me about it. No, we'll get to it. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> so it was directed by Greg McLean. Mm -hmm. uh, he had literally never, ever done anything at all that I had ever heard of, but he did do a TV series called Bloom. Nice. So I was like, I'm going to write that down because that's Coming our last at me, name. Coming son. <laughs> um, 
written by Shane um, um, Shane Armstrong, S.P. Krause, uh, and Greg McLean, which is the director. Um, I thought you were going to struggle to say the name twice. <laughs> McLean. It's like Don McLean. Um, <laughs> yeah, and none of them had ever written anything that I had... Uh, that I was familiar with. I feel like maybe he had worked with at least one of these writers before. Though. Yeah. I think they had done some stuff together. But the fucking production company. Bloomhouse Productions. God damn right. Uh, Stole my name, but I'm kind of related to those people. Because the, the, the history of my name is that we were German Jews it's fleeing. pronounced Blumhouse Productions. No, it's, I, I, <laughs> I, I, it depends on like what you're doing with that. But like when they came over to the country, Blum became Bloom for the most part. Like Later immigrants kept the Blum because they didn't get harassed as much on the, you know, the, the journey in. But well, I'm glad your Blum, family went with Bloom because yeah, it sounds prettier. Because the Blum like family history to the name is Iron worker whereas bloom sounds like we were florists yeah. interesting just, facts about my last name just a nicer last name for me to yeah. have but you know who was a lot more successful than all of my family Bloomhouse productions <laughs> uh yeah famously known for the paranormal activity series uh insidious mm-hmm. the purge uh a lot of very yep. successful horror films up there this, with twisted pictures just not fucking around this not being one of them no <laughs> not a good well one. Uh, well actually uh they spent four million on it the box office was 10.9 million so they, i did its job budget wise i guess maybe it was a success <laughs> uh Critically, not so much. No, but once you make six million, six point nine million dollars on a film, you know I have to think you're patting yourself on the back a little bit. Like, you, fuck yeah, you guys! You, you, I made you, my money you back. You didn't die in the red. You did a good job for the production. Yeah, uh, four four million for the budget for having uh, quite a few actors in it who had done some stuff is actually shockingly shockingly low in my opinion. Yeah, no, but I, I think, and we can get to it later, I think the reason why they were able to come in on the budget was because they used actual animals instead of CGI effects out the wazoo. Like, they used a lot of practical effects, but we can get to that later. And a huge chunk of the movie is filmed basically just in the house. Yeah. So, um, not a ton of locations in this movie. Um, cast, uh, large ass cast so we are only going to talk in depth about the family but we'll kind of go over who everyone is um i'm gonna let brett do the names because brett does the names better and i'll tell you what i know oh my god have you ever heard of this first person no never in your entire life never though i am not six degrees separated from him no not at all did you know he runs a charity that is uh roughly based on the six degrees of Kevin of Kevin uh, breakfast cereals, I legit actually did not know that. Yeah, it, it's called the Six Degrees Foundation, if I remember correctly, and it's to help connect foundations that support causes. If I understood exactly oh, what he was saying, but cool. the hero that would create such a beautiful program uh, is the beautiful, the somehow easily forgettable yet unforgettable. Kevin motherfucking Bacon. Hundreds of films. Nobody knows what he's in. But he was in Tremors. He was in... Footloose. Uh, he was Footloose. In a, a few, the original Footloose. Uh, a Few Good Men and Apollo 13. He's done tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I figured those were the ones people would know. Um, he plays the dad in this movie, Peter Taylor. Um, I feel like more than anything, though, for having done some successful films, Kevin Bacon is just infamous for Kevin Bacon. He's just Kevin fucking <laughs> <Yeah>. Bacon. <laughs> and then we got Radha Mitchell, uh, who played Bronnie Taylor. Which is a weird-ass name. Like, I did Radha, not even... don't go no, after Bronnie, her fucking culture. Bronnie. No, like, I don't... Bronnie, man. I don't remember them ever saying the wife's name. Yeah. And, like, when I read that, I was like, her name was Bronnie? 
<laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, she plays the mom yep. who was, I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering right, the love interest, uh, but she was definitely in Pitch Black. Uh, mm-hmm. And she was also in Silent Hill. Really? Yeah. Like the movie or the video game? The movie. Very fucking cool. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure she was like. Ah! The, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she was the love interest. Which spoiler alert? That movie's pretty old. Who dies in Pitch Black? So I mm. was like, oh hey, mm-hmm. I knew I recognized her. Knew her from somewhere. And then we've got David. I'm gonna go Mazos or Mazows. M a z o u z. Mazows. Uh, played by Michael Taylor. I'm about to blow your mind. I'm ready for my mind to be blown. He plays young Bruce in the TV series Gotham. That's who that kid is. No shit. No shit. How old is it? I know that I've watched it for many a transatlantic flight, but I didn't think he was that old. Yeah, I looked at the... Because I clicked on his IMDb, and like I saw his like actual IMDb photo, and I was like, that kid looks really familiar. And I scrolled down to his filmography, and I was like... Holy fuck. Like, looks nothing like him in the movie. Grew up quick. Yeah, like totally different person in this movie. I, I would not have yeah. pegged that. And if you're new to the show, I love Gotham because you can watch almost all of the series of Gotham in the flight <laughs> from Atlanta, Georgia to London, England. It times out almost beautifully for, <laughs> you know, if you start it once you are at Ascent and you stop, you stop it right before Descent, you can get all the way through this middle school drama <laughs> about the Batman. And I fucking, I love that show. It's a, you know, personal favorite of mine. Uh, Lucy Fry um, as Stephanie Taylor. Yeah, she's the older sister. Um, so the only thing that she had done that I had watched wasn't something that you knew, but it was that um, more recent movie that I think was a Netflix movie called Bright that Will Smith did where mm-hmm. it was about kind of him being... Is he a, like an alien type dude? Or? Um, well, he's a human, but he... It's a very interesting film, like weird oh, yeah. mixture of fantasy. I've not his, seen it. I've just seen the pictures. <laughs> yeah, his uh, he's in the he's a cop, and his partner is a orc, which is oh. a very bizarre mix. Uh, I have never seen a movie with that talks about racial tension and racial class where it was humans and orcs. Like I've definitely yeah. seen fantasy movies and stuff or fantasy video games where orcs are kind of seen as underlings or it's humans and aliens yeah Yeah. very interesting choice to go that hardcore fantasy as the other class but yeah it's a world of humans and orcs and orcs are interestingly enough kind of represented almost as black people in this movie because will Mm. smith is the lead but yeah orcs are very much treated almost like black people in this movie so it's a very that's interesting um it's it has its moments it's a little cheesy in some places but actually a pretty decent film yeah yeah instead of just having a white cop and a black (laughs) guy that's what i thought was kind of interesting about it because will smith is a black cop yeah will smith is a black man and to like have a black character pitted against this character that's seen as racially inferior Mm -hmm. And it, it is almost very much like the orc is the black man and Will Smith is white. One. Yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre. Might have to watch that one. Did, you said you've seen it? Yes, is I it, saw it. You uh, like it? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like a movie I'd rush out and buy, but I saw it when I was working at Vanderbilt. I think mm-hmm. I watched it with like one of my patients one day, and I was like, shockingly kind of good for what it is. Well, it's Will motherfucking Smith. If Will Smith ever shows up in a two-star, I'll shoot my brains all over my bookcase. Uh, next up on the list, we got Matt Walsh. He played Gary Carter. 
Um, yeah, I don't really have anything about <laughs> and it And Jennifer Morrison, <laughs> who played Joy Carter. Yeah, I don't have any uh, filmographies for any of the rest of the people. Just cause okay, so am many... I stopping there, or do we need No, to... we can keep reading them just so everybody knows who they are. I just don't have filmographies for anyone else. Oh, okay. So they were the family at the very beginning of the movie that were on vacation in the Grand Canyon or wherever they were with the Taylors. The, the hyper-believable, super-rememberable uh, Carter family? Yeah. I, li- I literally don't think you see them again the rest of the movie, actually. <laughs> then you've got Ming-Na Wen, uh, which sounds like they should be played by literally anybody named anything but Wendy Richards. <laughs> <laughs> and that is his douchebag boss's wife. And then this is where, for some reason, Wikipedia decided to jump around. It was just going to go all over the fucking world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now I've got a staple, so Arker Mac. <laughs> As uh, Andrew Carter. Who is the son that's on vacation with them at the beginning of the movie. Trian Longsmith as Sammy Levin. Uh, And she is either, I don't know if she's an intern or his secretary or the new employee or whatever she is. She's the chick that... uh, Gets passed off. Yeah, for him to fuck, basically. Uh, Paul Reiser as Simon... Simon Simon Richards. I just got off work, (laughs) too. Fucking work with me here. That's his douchey boss. Uh... Eliza Rosario Panko as Gloria Ortega. She's the younger girl that's helping out the lady that's blessing the house. I remember her now. Okay. Oh I, yeah. I labeled her as the witch doctor. Yeah, because we're coming up on a fucking hilarious. <laughs> the name of the witch doctor is fucking ludicrous. Uh, Tara Lynn Barr is Cat. I have no idea who that was. Judith McConnell is Trish. That's the grandmother. Um, that very briefly appears in the movie just so we can find the snake. <laughs> Krista Marie you as Tasha. No idea who that was. Alma Martinez as Mother Teresa. <laughs> she is, I label her as the witch doctor. <laughs> she is the lady that comes and blesses the house with her divining rods. <laughs> as Mother Teresa was one to do. And A.J. Tannen as H. Quinlan. And I don't know who H. Quinlan is. No fucking <laughs> Moving fucking forward. Give us a plot here, Kristen um, Pennington. What in the absolute <laughs> hell happened in this film? That is a fantastic question. So Kevin Bacon was there. That was cool for 20 minutes. <laughs> So the Taylor family at the beginning of this movie is for whatever reason barbecuing out in the fucking desert. They're like at the bottom yeah. of the some Grand Canyon. Canyon. Is it the Grand Canyon? Yeah, it's the opening thing. In the oh yeah, that's little... right. Yeah, they do mention the Grand Canyon. Yeah, so they're like for whatever reason at the fucking bottom of the Grand Canyon hanging out with a pop-up tent, some foldable chairs, and a like little portable grill Yeah. instead of just hiking and appreciating the view and they're in their cars are parked next to them so they drove down there they didn't hike around anything at all in all fairness it might be cool to camp and spend a night in the grand canyon like i imagine that that's got to be pretty like star wise but, but they, they were, we don't we didn't see them at night we didn't get the stars no, they were drinking beer and playing they just kind of went out for a barbecue in the bottom of the grand yeah. canyon and that was that they were drinking beer and playing poker with coolers and a little pop-up table like yeah. they literally didn't even go hiking they were having a backyard barbecue at the bottom of the grand canyon <laughs> and then um the older daughter, the son of the family that's with them, and then um, Mikey, I think is what they typically call the youngest son that's autistic in this movie, um, all kind of go roaming around. Mikey falls into a hole and discovers these stones, 
and magically comes back out of the hole without anybody even noticing that he fell in the hole in the first place. How unlucky do you need to be to fall into a hole at the bottom of the Grand Canyon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they all go home, and we think nothing of this until the house starts stinking for some reason. Yep. What does it smell like? Nobody knows. Yeah, they never explain it. Um, the water turns itself on, sooty handprints are all over the house, and then lo and behold, it turns out it's ancient spirits who the most sinister thing they can do is soot up your clean yeah. linen. Ancient Native American spirits yeah. from the Grand Canyon. They do they Do you do think successfully... that's offensive? Wait until you see what they did to this quote-unquote <laughs> autistic character. Yeah, the, the most successful thing these supposedly terrible sinister spirits do is burn a hole in the wall and uh not even all the way through it's pretty anticlimactic yeah. it's apparently a remember a, when you were a kid and you used to hold a cigarette lighter up to a coke can and it just charred a little bit mm-hmm. it's basically what they did to this kid's wall yeah it's a shallow enough uh, imprint on the wall that just, the dad's like oh, i can paint over it it'll be fine and then <laughs> for some reason he walks through it at one point in the movie it becomes a portal yeah all right, so let's get into it, Kristen Pennington. What are or Kristen Bloom? I'm still working on it. <laughs> How dare you? I, We've been married for like a whole week. Week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love you. Happy that you're a Bloom. <laughs> are you? I am. That was the really the drunken way to say that. <laughs> I'm happy that you're, you're a Bloom. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't. I. We've been trying to be more positive with our two stars and like kind of this have, one deserves my wrath <laughs> kind of have like more <laughs> sincere discussions i don't really have much of anything nice to say about this film so no. for me i'm hoping this turns into a discussion about the severity how to do it right of yeah like yeah. talking about these type of topics in such a shallow way like I, can, I hope this is a learning experience even if we can't really walk away saying nice things can we open on a nice thing or should we shut on the only nice thing that i have to say about this movie uh, we can open on a nice we yeah, used to do I, goods, I like... and, goods into bads and i i'm trying really hard guys but what happened with mental illness in this movie has pissed me off at a physical level. I kept pausing it and going, can you fucking believe it? So we're going to start yeah, we'll with start the positives. Because I feel like this is going to be a bit heavier, more serious episode. Yeah, so. but maybe if we start with the positives, it'll put me in a better mood. Probably and I won't not. want to, you know, <laughs> send angry emails to Kevin Bacon or whatever the fuck I was going to do about it. <laughs> um, but but uh, up front, the animals... We've seen in the past when you have a build-up to some demonic animal, you know, that kind of comes up. You, they, they've used CGI in the Two Star Tuesdays, and that was a German Shepherd, or whatever that dog was. It looks very wolf-like, whatever it was. It yeah. looked like they got like some kind of half-breed. I, I, I realized I said yeah. German Shepherd while I was looking at Jack's, and then they're like, <laughs> fucking... <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there are actual dog breeds out there that are mixed with wolf and yeah, whatever like that Akitas dog was. And stuff yeah, like that. looked like very wolfish. Yeah, you could tell that that was a trained dog that they had on the set for that purpose. So, like, when you're scared of the dog, you're scared of the dog. You're not. You don't have that weird. What do they call it? Where it's almost real, but it doesn't quite feel real. You know. Yeah. There's I'd like that to me is just your suspension of disbelief when it's like mm-hmm. 
Because a lot of movies, they'll show the real thing for a moment, and then you get, like, the attack sequence yeah. or whatever, and we switch to CGI. and Like, Scorpion King's cool until you see the Scorpion King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the dog, like, legit bites the shit out of the daughter's arm, and I think that, I mean, it may have been a stunt or stunt doubler or something. I, I think it really... was an actual, like, they put a like a bite guard on the arm. Yeah. They might have CGI'd like the skin underneath it, but that looked like a real fucking bite. Yeah, and like uh, that dog was definitely legit biting either her or a stand-in or something. Like that was an actual trained dog like attacking the object it was told to attack. Yeah. Like it was very convincing. It's beautifully done. They did the same thing with the snake. You weren't sitting there going, oh, that looks like a shell painting on top of the mm -hmm. real world. Like, that looked like they had an actual snake and an actual snake handler so that the snake could do what snakes do. You know, like, it didn't have, like, all the awkward twitchiness that you get out of it. Like, I, I hate CGI. I think it's the worst thing to ever happen to film. I like it when it's appropriately used. Like, I really, which we've talked about that tons of times. Yeah, I like I... the Matrix, because you can <laughs> slow down bullets, and I don't well, know how to do that. Like, I really <laughs> adored... The Lord of the Rings, and like I thought when they got to the the Hobbit, they were very heavy-handed on the CGI. But there was, I mean, when you're shooting fantasy type films, yeah. there's only so much practical effects you can do. Um, the original Star Wars, God love them, did pretty much everything practical effects, but realistically, budget-wise, like sometimes it's just easier to do CGI. So I have an appreciation of CGI. Mm -hmm. um, you definitely have to have like a balance, though. You can't. Well, the way that I look at it is if like you. I think CGI is an out a lot of the time. Like, I think there's definitely a place for it. Like, what's... Is it Interstellar? Like, the big space movie? There's a movie. Where, like, the dude, understand. like, goes to a different planet and comes home and everybody's older and he's never changed age. Is that Interstellar? I'm not sure, to be honest. To, whatever. But, like, the, the CGI and, like, space films, like, you need an element of that, but you're dealing with something otherworldly that I've never seen. I've seen a dog. So when we watch that Two Star Tuesday with the demon dog that they, you know, coming out of the cupboard and then, like, goes into the other cupboard, when we get the prolonged shot, it's like, you could have just dressed up a dog. Like, There's a three-headed dog in that, though, I think, wasn't it? So that's a No, little... no, no. It, it wasn't a Cerebus. It was a... A regular dog. It was just it had patches of itself that had been pulled out, if oh, I remember I correctly. Three headed, but yeah. The point is, like there, there needs to be a balance for sure. Yeah. Like practical effects, if you can do them appropriately, are always going to be the better option. Can um, you imagine doing the elevator scene from The Shining with anything except for an elevator filled with fake blood? Like, that was not a CGI <laughs> shot. Kubrick had one go, and he goes, pull the fucking trigger. That's the one time yeah. Kubrick ever did anything in one take. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I would probably CGI that. He's braver than I. <laughs> but yeah, the crow that's on the car was definitely a real crow. The only one that I was kind of like, ooh, that looked like CGI was there's a coyote, I guess, in the treehouse, and it lunges out. Like, yeah, it does that the stereotypical raw, and yeah, that looked super fake. You could see it, like, from behind running away, and I'm pretty sure that was a real animal Dog, running yeah. away. That initial attack was super CGI, and I was like, ah. Damn it, they almost yeah, I, had it. <laughs> I get it for safety reasons, but if you've proven that you have a dog handler and a trustworthy dog, you know, like, maybe you don't need the coyote. Maybe you can just stick to that attack and you can imply other attacks. Mm -hmm. I, I always look at CGI and it's like, well, how could you have done that different, you know? Well, like, the coyote felt silly to me because the dog 
like wolf dog or yeah. whatever is the only one outside of the coyote that actually attacks anything. The crow's just sitting on the car. It's not being all sinister. It's just hanging out. The snake is just sitting on the counter. Even the snake doesn't like strike out. So like we could have literally just had a coyote scamper out of the house and run away. Yeah. Like it didn't have it to. Could have like, disappeared in a long shot. I wouldn't have known the difference. Yeah, it didn't have to do the whole like rawr, jump scare thing. Like that was kind of. Yeah. Granted, um, like practical effects let you down all the time. If you go back and you watch like Nightmare on Elm Street, I I love Wes Craven. He's one of my gods. I I pray to him every night before I go to bed and I say I'm sorry, Wes, <laughs> but thank God because coronavirus definitely would have killed you. <laughs> But the, the the classic scene where his arms grow and grow and grow and grow and grow is definitely just the actor with like peg arms doing this. Like it looks fake as fuck when you watch it in HD. Or so practical effects. We didn't end up discussing that movie. We ended up taking a day off, um, kind of in uh, camaraderie with our Black Lives Matter. Yeah, our, our uh, the blackout. Yeah, I, I was trying to find a poetic way of saying like our minority listeners um but yeah we we did a film called uh shark night yeah and yeah he definitely loses his arm and literally just has it tucked under his shirt you can totally tell his arm is just tucked under his t-shirt the whole time and i was like i admire if you have a low budget film and that's your only solution i would probably do that too but you can also tell he's doing that but lieutenant dan didn't actually have no legs He green screened that? I thought they used like an adjusted wheelchair. I'd have to look into it. I might have. I met him. You've met him? Greg's is it Gary Sinise or Greg Sinise? I think it's Gary. Yep. He has a band and he does USO tours. And when I was in the Air Force he came and did like two USO tours at the base and I met him the first time that he was. I've always heard he's a really nice guy. He's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to find anything to talk about but this movie. Well I'm trying to keep it positive. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, practical effects. Good job with the dog. All right, are you ready to get into it? I suppose. Because I, 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 I tried to get that to the half hour point. 25 minutes feels like good enough. <laughs> the best we could do. I, you didn't give me 25 minutes of good material in the film there, Kevin Bacon, Aww. so I'm going to get... He gave no. me good 20 minutes blame of good... Blame Bloomhouse. I, I don't blame my own brethren. We were Jews. <laughs> we were thrown All out right, of we, Germany. we got to actually get into this, otherwise right. we're going to be on this for an hour and a half. <laughs> you don't understand my people's struggles. No, I'm not a... <laughs> We moved here before the revolution. All Our right. family was not a part of Talking the Talking about this movie. Um, so, let's get to it. Because it's blindingly fucked up. It's beyond tone death. Death. Tone death. Tone death death is what it gave me. (laughs) This film is tone deaf as fuck. Can we talk about the autistic kid? Well, my problem is... Who they never fully address is actually autistic. Well, they do once. They do have the dad Google something about autistic children being gateways. Into hell. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, My problem with this film isn't even just the autistic kid. Like, if they, maybe, the people who wrote this movie just didn't have a good understanding of autism, I might have been able to let that go. I I don't have a great understanding. There's a whole spectrum of it. And I, you know, I'm not a person who thinks that they're all Rain Man, but 
yeah. I thought that they were, you know, calmer as adults because I saw Rain Man. Yeah, and like I, I they're feel triggers, like triggers, but they're not like you know amped, amped. And you worked in a hospital. Yeah, I feel like a large portion of the population that um, hasn't spent a lot of time with autistic kids uh, in general probably doesn't really understand what it's really like for those families. Um, and even my understanding is so minimal. I God I bless you if you have an autistic kid or you yourself are autistic. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know. Yeah, like it's I, my favorite mental disorder. But I don't know. I, I don't want to offend. Like I, I mean it honestly. Yeah. Like some people are like, I love people with Down syndrome. I love people with autism because if you get them talking about a thing that they like, it never turns off. <laughs> I'm like I, I don't have any autistic. Um, family members or anything mm-hmm. like that so I don't have any personal like close connections to autism but I did work in a hospital for almost a decade and I worked pretty closely with quite a few yeah. um, mainly children but I did work with some autistic adults that were kind of more severely on the spectrum um, but yeah it was kind of eye-opening for me too to realize how difficult that situation is and how little support there is so I guess for me I would excuse this film if that was their only um, mistake that they just maybe didn't understand that one disorder. Yeah, that one disorder quite so well, but it's shockingly tone deaf on a lot of things. Well, but, um, yeah, I just finished Bird by Bird as we discussed on, I, I believe, the last episode that we did. And there's a whole chapter on learning to call people for research. Don't just stick to reading it out of books or reading it on the internet or, you know, whatever you're going to do. Call somebody in the field that is explosive with energy, with information. Yeah. So you fully understand what it's like to understand it, you know. Yeah. And, like, and this film feels like they they wed they wed they read some Wikipedia. I'm sorry, we watched Space Jam. Uh, they, <laughs> they read some Wikipedia articles, and they they were like, "This is my interpretation of autism yeah. or bulimia or fucking alcoholism." Like it, it, it's like how we talked about the room, and they were saying it's like somebody an alien explained to Tommy Wiseau what a film is, and then he made what he <laughs> thought a film was. Like yeah. is how they looked at mental disorder. Yeah, uh, with the autism in particular, cause, just because that's the first one I wrote down. Like, yeah. um, it is true. Um, kids that are further on down the spectrum kind of go through changes because they're not quite as equipped at, uh, like, I guess, expressing their wants and their needs and stuff like that. Is um, it? And forgive my own ignorance. Is it an emotional disorder? Is it a logic? thing is it the further you go down the spectrum does it switch from emotion to logic so my understanding of it and i could be completely butchering this i saw like a please write in if you know anything about (laughs) autism i saw a really cool little short film one day that was talking about um the way autistic kids that are you know kind of more severely on the spectrum perceive the world and i think it's just the way um like i guess like you're sensors kind of react in your brain and stuff like that so like whenever we hear just kind of quiet sounds like just snapping or whatever it's like a thunderous sound for like autistic kids like like, in rain man when the fire alarm goes off yeah Yeah. and like visual cues are much more hyper focused in almost like whenever we talked um or whenever we talk about like 
lens is having like a shallow depth of field where you can focus in on one thing and everything else kind of blurs out like their sensory perception of visual cues and auditory cues and stuff is very keyed into whatever the one thing is so um and it throws them down spirals when they get thrown off yeah Yeah, so a lot of the time they can't really block out whatever that thing is or can't really redirect their focus because it's so tight in um and whenever they're going through like changes in life, like puberty and stuff like that, like you throw in the hormones and they just can't really quite... Yeah, sex gets tossed in and then it's like rape is the only option. Well, no, no, I don't, I definitely don't want to imply that, no. No, I like, don't want to imply that either. I've realized how fucked up that sounded as <laughs> no, I was saying it. But like do, they, do they read like the emotional state of the room or do they become so overwhelmed that it becomes a series of steps? It's, like, it's, just, it's just, again, like you can't really... Um, process those overload of feelings quite the same way Mm -hmm. that someone who doesn't have those keyed in feelings do so like they don't necessarily understand when a a behavior is inappropriate or whenever you know something isn't quite as big a deal or whatever like it's just it's much more like keyed in and intense for them Mm -hmm. so whenever um and it's not just boys it's boys and girls both like when you're going through hormonal changes in your body like your hormones are kind of all over the place and you know average teenage children kind of overreact when they're teens so when kids that are kind of far down the spectrum go through these hormonal changes they don't really quite know how to balance those emotions kind of like um people with severe down syndrome might just start masturbating regardless well, of what's not, happening it's not always them. necessarily sexual like sometimes it's no just i mean when sex is involved like down syndrome people you know further down that line will just start masturbating. I mean, I've had autistic kids do that before, yeah, in front of me. I don't know that that's necessarily... I'm I'm not an expert. I don't know if there's any set... Yeah, um, I don't want to offend anybody (laughs) out there. I'm asking honest questions to... Which I don't... I I have had autistic kids do that before because I I think they really just didn't understand that... Boundaries. Yeah, like, it, it seemed like a natural reaction, so they didn't really understand that maybe that was uncomfortable for other people. Um, but I don't know that there's any kind of set reaction. Like, I've had kids that were literally just going through puberty in general, so their, like I said, hormones were thrown off, and it wasn't necessarily even a sexual reaction. It was just like a sudden outburst of anger because they couldn't quite process what they were feeling in a way that other people could understand yeah. it. So, I mean, it's not even, like I said, always sexual in nature. Sometimes it's just, like, frustration. Like, they cry or they, you know, yell or throw stuff or hit themselves because they can't. I've seen that yeah. on the school bus as a kid just banging his yeah. head against the window because he didn't know what to do because the bus yeah. was too loud. Yeah, yeah so they, they have these, what feel like to, I think, everybody else in the world, these outbursts. And what this movie does is... For one, it doesn't really clearly define where Mikey's character is on the spectrum, which that's not... The spectrum is so wide that... Most people fall somewhere in it, but, like, autism is, you know... Like, people go, oh, I'm autistic about this, the way that people are saying, I'm bipolar. I think that's kind of offensive, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Me too. When people are like, oh, I'm autistic with my politics. Yeah, that's kind of Or they say I'm bipolar because they have mood swings. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't know what it's like. Like, yesterday, you were like, I had a long day. And it's like, yeah, I thought the CIA implanted some shit in the apartment. And they were going to come and arrest me. And I've done (laughs) nothing to even upset the Missoula Police Department. 
I've yeah. never been like arrested, or I have, but I was 17. You know, I have not been like arrested, arrested. It's not, I'm bipolar because I had a bad day at work. Yeah. You know? I, I think, too, I guess while we're on that topic, I think the more time you spend with people who actually have these disorders and struggle to manage these disorders, the more you realize how insensitive stuff like that can be. Like, I made a passing comment. Um, I've never dated anyone with bipolar disorder. I. I don't factually know that anyone in my family has bipolar disorder, but um, there have been, I guess, some questions that maybe that is a diagnosis that's in my family. Yeah. I um, can see it in retrospect with certain members of my family, yeah. but it's only because of conversations that I've had that I grew up with that were normal to me that after meeting and talking with you, it's like, oh, the FBI is not outside. <laughs> well, they might be right now. Thank you, Missoula Airport. <laughs> Perfect time. They're um, dropping chemtrails. Oh. Um, Learn no. to love your disorder if you have one, by the way, is my stance. <laughs> You've done nothing wrong and the world hates you for reasons that you'll never understand. So just love yourself and love the people that love you. I love yeah. you. I love you. But I like I've never you know that's a perfect example. I've never really spent an excess of time with someone that I definitely knew had bipolar disorder. And you and I watched a movie one time uh, recently. It's been since we've moved to Missoula. I think it's probably been within the past couple of months uh, where I started to make a passing comment that the characters in the movie were bipolar. And the second <laughs> "bye" got out of my mouth, I was like, oh. This That's is going to sound bad. I was like, take that back. Well, it would sound like, um, you know, and I'm not a pussy about it, you know? Like, I know what it is. It's been diagnosed by no fewer than seven different therapists. I, I, I understand. Um, I have my own ways of medicating it and dealing with it, and meditating has helped me kind of lower all the levels so that they don't get too out of control. I'm good with it. You know, I have my moments. I freak out. I've freaked out since we've moved here. I was convinced that, you know, there was a dude who tried to rape you like two weeks ago and I needed to go out in the parking lot with a pistol at fucking 10 o'clock at night to go right the wrong. And, you know, when I didn't do it, I was convinced he was going to light the whole apartment complex on fire. And, you know, like it just, once it gets going, it's, it never stops. Yeah. I'm like, Not to compare bipolar disorder to autism or to take anything away from either one, but it's an experience that people have, and you should talk to people that have them. You have chronic depression. Mm -hmm. I get that as well, because it's the downswing of bipolar disorder, except you never come out of your chronic depression and go, I'm moving to Montana, and here I am, <laughs> married in fucking Missoula, because <laughs> I had a manic fucking freak out, and here we are. <laughs> um, had less depressive moves so go manic Brett go but. <laughs> but yeah I mean that proves the point though I think when you um, aren't really exposed to something yourself you don't really have as good an understanding of it and I, I still don't really totally grasp what it feels like to be bipolar but the more time Brett and I spend together you know the more I kind of come to understand it and I worked with it's not, like, crazy out of the ordinary. No. But, I mean, most people don't talk about, you know, their stuff. I don't just run around talking about my depression with people. And, I'm like, sorry with, I outed you. <laughs> well, I'm, I've <laughs> talked about it before. It's, just, it's not a thing, a thing I run around just talking to anyone about. But, um, like, with this movie, I, I spent almost a decade working with um, 
autistic kids for the most part, but yeah, a couple of autistic adults. And yet most of the people, since I was in a hospital setting, were much further down the spectrum. So there is a gradient where, you know, there are people that live much more normal lives. But my problem with this movie is we never really get a sense of where Mikey is on the spectrum. There'll be moments where he's like having, or it only happens a couple of times in the movie, but moments where he's having very intellectual sounding conversations. Like he'll say yeah. like full sentences that like sound like he thought this thought out and he's been like, you know, having this thought and this mm -hmm. is a conversation that's been ongoing and like fully participating and aware in the conversation. And then there are other moments in the movie where he almost seems nonverbal. Where his sister comes in and screws up his blocks and he's banging his ears. Yeah. And, yeah. And I get that even verbal autistic kids can still have those reactions, but throughout a huge chunk of the movie, he almost seems like a nonverbal autistic kid. And then yeah. suddenly he'll just spout out this whole sentence. And I maybe... Maybe, maybe that happens in intimate settings. Yeah, and maybe know. it does. I have never personally worked with autistic kids that were um, considered basically nonverbal who would have conversations with you. Like at the end when he tells his dad he's not afraid anymore. Like I've never heard a kid who was basically nonverbal like say something that fully fleshed out and like understand. Like and more or less nudge. They don't like express yeah and like he not only says the sentence he connects the meaning of the moment and like follows through with the moment and it's um very well thought out and it, it feels like we're suddenly dealing with a completely different kid than we were dealing with at a later point or an earlier point in the movie and then he doesn't really have outbursts per se we see him with a matchbook and he bites his sister when his sister attacks him. Those are really the only real outbursts. Yeah. But then the family's like, oh, he's so violent. He's so aggressive. I'm afraid of him. The sister's like, oh, he's a creep. He's spying on me in the shower. And we never established the kids doing any of those things. And I get... They demonize him. Yeah. They literally make him the portal to hell. Yeah. And, like, I, I get... Maybe if you're a family that's under stress and you have a kid that has a mental illness in your family, you are probably more likely to leap to my little brother spying on me in the shower versus there's an ancient alien force here or whatever. But that's your little brother. Like, he's been alive longer, shorter than you've been alive. His entire life you've known him mm -hmm. as my autistic little brother. Yeah. You know how to converse with a person like that, especially the parents. Yeah. And, like, the fact that we immediately go to... It's these ancient spirits and the dad's Googling, like, autistic children being gateways to the spirit world yeah. and demon they thought, possessions. They thought women having their periods was a fucking the exorcist. But this is a... Like, not even kind of getting you. They thought that it was a sign of witchery, like, that uh, you would start your cycle. <laughs> 2016 film, and I think that's the saddest part about it, is, like, anyone who knows... Um, autistic kids that are farther down the spectrum know that violent outbursts and stuff are actual things that really happen so to immediately go to it's a supernatural thing that's causing him to act this way it's like I it's the same problem I have when they depict schizophrenics and then they're like oh it's actually a demon and it's like no make it a schizophrenic mm -hmm. let us empathize 
with the struggle of this person. Don't pull away. Quit trying to move the camera to a ghost in a corner that doesn't fucking exist. This is a schizophrenic. A beautiful mind. Perfect example. Russell Crowe, he plays the guy who got the Nobel Prize for math, that I hate math, but I love that movie, um, is convinced that he's working with the United States government because of his mathematic genius, and then the Russians are trying to get him, you know, to, like, become a double agent mm-hmm. on the other side. And then his wife finds out, uh, Stephen Nash, I think is his name. Nash is definitely yeah, the Stephen last Nash, name. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Stephen Nash might be a basketball player. They may share a name. I, I'm not sure. Um, but he is like an actual Nobel Prize winner, or whatever prize math people get. <laughs> but he was convinced that he was designing his math formula for the United States government, and that wasn't real. Like he just had a brilliant idea and a beautiful mind. The twist at the end is that he imagined the whole reason that he wrote down this formula on his dormitory window. <laughs> yeah, and they do show him talking to the other people, but like n- none of those guys became demons at the end. Well, it was they like show this him... is schizophrenia. This is what it looks like. And I think that's kind of the powerful part of the ending. They show him taking medication and he's like much more of a dull personality and like can't focus and um he's not the same person anymore and so he stops taking his medication and starts seeing things again and like his wife stayed with him i know while he was on medication i think she eventually left him because he almost hurt the baby or ignored the baby or something like that i think he almost drowned it but but i'd have to re-look at it yeah but then you see the end of the movie and like he still sees the ghosts and he's just trying not to talk to them and not interact with them because he's like i know this isn't real he wants to be himself Mm -hmm. like he understands that they're there it's the same thing with my bipolar disorder again not to compare it to schizophrenia if i if I was schizophrenic, it would terrify me. You know, I don't have auditory hallucinations except for on the odd weekend where I use the devil's lettuce. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have anxiety attacks and depressive episodes that throw my brain into weird places, but I'm not hearing or seeing anything. I just read too much into what actually exists in the world. Yeah. I saw a piece of chewing gum on the back of my Jeep. I was convinced there was a homeless person living in the closet in my spare bedroom. <laughs> but I didn't imagine the chewing gum. I didn't imagine that, you know, I didn't see anybody walk out of the room. I was just convinced that there was a person living there during the day, and that made complete rational sense to me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Mikey aside, like, this is a... Oh, I want to talk about the next one. Yeah, bulimia. Well, this is a problematic family as a whole that... I want to go down the list one by (laughs) one. This is a problematic family as a whole because all of these individual members of the family have their own vice that they're struggling with and none of them are represented well and there's no support within the family. And, yeah, the daughter's supposedly bulimic. We randomly see her throw up once and then realize she's got a collection of jars under her bed has a very aggressive outburst, and then we never talk about it again. Never comes up. As I was saying before we started the show, it reminded me of Danny's drug problem in the room. 
where it's like, you can't just tell me that this kid is so far in debt to his drug dealer that the dude's willing to stick a pistol down his throat, and now all of a sudden we don't need to talk about Danny's drug problem ever again. You know, like this dives into this violent outburst between an alcoholic mother and her bulimic daughter, which is one of the most realistic scenes of bulimia that I've seen in a film where they've got the jars underneath the bed. Because I remember, you know, growing up with an alcoholic dad and drinking a lot in high school, hiding bottles underneath the bed. Mm -hmm. And I remember storing them in a duffel bag and trying to hide them from everybody. And if anybody ever found that duffel bag, it might as well have been fucking a hundred things of puke, you know, hidden underneath. I've never dealt with bulimia. I have a lot of female friends. I've got a sister who went through a period of that before therapy. You're a female. Can you explain bulimia on any level just based on experiences with other people or with yourself? I don't know that I know anyone that's ever... um... I, I assumed because of the modeling thing that you might have known a couple of them. I I don't know. So, like, we grew up in the... Or I grew up in the South. I never really lived anywhere else. And, like, I, I feel like in the South, it's it's considered impolite to talk about anything in general that's, like, personal on that level. Like, you don't talk about your family. <laughs> yeah, you don't talk about your family troubles. You don't talk about, like, racial, like, stuff. You don't talk about political stuff. You go to church. You go to school, you know. Shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, you Some work on... Some dude calls you a faggot, you break his nose. <laughs> you work on the farm or whatever, if that's what you do in your spare time. Like, I feel like it's considered impolite to talk about stuff like that in the South. So, like, yeah, I, I knew a lot of models, but I definitely never knew anyone that was, like, openly talking about that. I knew people that, I guess, probably purposely ate less than necessary. Um, mm-hmm. Not quite to the level of anorexia, but, like, you know, like, oh, like... You know, I'm going to kind of fast this week or whatever, you know. I knew Um, girls who were like 25 and they weighed like 89 pounds. mm. And it was like, holy Christ. But it's such a sensitive topic. Everybody around them looks at them, knows what's going on. And you can't bridge it. Yeah. And it's it's one of those disorders. Because they view themselves as too much. So they Mm. don't want to put anything more into them. Yeah, and it's one of those disorders where I feel like people kind of scoff at it because it's like, we'll just stop doing it, you know, yeah. and it's... Well, it's the same problem with overweight people, people that compulsively eat, Yeah. where it's like, stop doing it. It's like, you don't understand. Food is a very dangerous drug. You have to eat. Yeah, but like with bulimia, it's almost like an obsessive compulsive disorder, I feel like. like it's That's one... an interesting way of looking like, at it. It's Well, like with overeating, that's one of those things where... The more you eat, you know, your stomach can stretch to kind of accommodate more. So maybe you are naturally more hungry. And, like, sometimes people stress eat just to comfort themselves. Like, nobody throws up to comfort themselves. Like well, I, but Maybe, but I was a cutter like for the, a very well, long stretch. And that's not a thing that you're supposed to do to comfort yourself. Yeah. But, like, the action itself, like, the feeling of the vomit, I highly doubt is a comforting sensation for really mm. anyone. So, like... And I could be way off base, but I feel like my perception of it is almost, like I said, like, because I, I, I've never been diagnosed with OCD, but I, I think if there's a scale of OCD, you I have, have some, moments. yeah, I have some <laughs> OCD tendencies. And like, to me, bulimia feels almost like an obsessive compulsive tendency mm. where 
you feel like you have to do it versus like you want to do it it's like oh i've got to get this like out like i need to do this so like you know whenever people are like oh like just quit doing it it's not quite that easy there's like an urge where you feel like you need to and like a lot of um you know people that struggle with eating disorders see themselves in a very distorted way from the way the rest of the world sees them so there's that um on a mental level that struggle and then I feel like compulsively that level where they almost feel like they have to yeah so yeah it's in this movie it's a demon inside yourself you know like it gets missed you we have an alcoholic mother right who chugs vodka throughout the entire film it's my a, father it's picked up on the back half of the movie like we never yeah. established that she drinks anything at all and then she's just randomly bought two bottles of vodka my father and my grandfather and my grandfather's grandfather's grandfathers. I come from a long line of drunks. Dad died at 54 of end-stage liver disease, diagnosed when he was 52. When I grew up, he was either drinking 30 beers in a night, you know, fucking <laughs> sitting there with a literal 30-pack, packing them back. You know, so he would have a stack of empty cans on one side, whatever was left of film, or not film, uh, full cans on the other side. And then when he ran out of full cans, he'd put all of his empty cans in, take a piss, go to bed. When I was growing up and he was living in an apartment, he would buy a gallon of Papa vodka. He'd fucking polish that back in the night, pass out on the couch, or try to fight me, you know? <laughs> I grew up with a dude who literally drank himself to death by the age of 52. Yeah, and like with the mom, we never actually see her... Drunk. Drunk, we never see her stumbling around, we never Fighting. see her making irrational decisions per se, we just see her drinking a glass once or twice in the whole movie and then her husband sees a half-empty bottle of vodka and like her reaction, if it had been more sincere, might have been like a moment to kind of explore that. She's like, oh, that's nothing, you know? Yeah. But it felt so shallow and we don't acknowledge it again at all. Where Just like, like the bulimia. Yeah. Or like we've got this whole issue that real world exists that people deal with every single day. I drink too much. I admit that often. Um, it scares me fucking shitless. Alcoholism is not a thing to take lightly. You know, like it, I understand that. And trust me, I understand what I've what I'm doing to myself and the risk that I'm taking. I, I, I went to my first AA meeting when I was 16 years old. Like, I, I get it. But these are disorders. These are not choices, mm -hmm. you know? I, I didn't choose to be bipolar. I self-medicate, which is how I deal with it. But your only other option is, I already think that the CSI, CSI, CIA <laughs> is planting homeless people in my closet uh, imagine me on SSRIs and then imagine me coming off SSRIs it's not a good look I'd flip out I'm terrified of medication <laughs> I medicate on my own level I don't hurt anybody I go to work every day but you're dealing with a real deal thing and they're avoiding that mm -hmm. there's a uh, uh, 
a cataclysmic fucking meltdown inside of this entire family where the husband is cheating on his wife with a secretary that is being fed to him by a fucking Weinstein character. To me, that's the thing that bothers me the most is like, um, socially, for this being a movie that's not that older, that's incredibly problematic. The boss is almost viewed as this like glorified figure like the boss is successful and the boss is, I want to be the boss has got the beautiful wife and the yeah. boss has got the money so he can kind of fling money around to pay for their dinners and stuff like that and invite them out and he throws young women at him like they're trophies almost and we kind of establish it's not like outright but we kind of establish because the boss says you used to be my hero. Yeah. Here's the girl that, who's going to suck your dick underneath the desk every time you write yeah. a report. We, yeah. we kind of established that the, the dad has cheated multiple times. And that is like a really sincerely traumatic thing to stay in those type of situations. Like Especially it changes. as a woman trying to cope with the fact that he's going to go to work with that bitch every fucking day. Yeah. Well, like as a, as a woman, period... Dating a serial cheater emotionally is very traumatic for your self esteem, yeah, and you've been through that. Yeah, and like it's a, it's I've a difficult thing. I've been cheated on a whole shitload, but I've never dealt with a serial one. The yeah. second I found out, I tried to beat up the dude <laughs> and then walk out of there. That's a very difficult and traumatic thing emotionally if you don't leave the situation. So, like to me, I feel like if we were going to have all of these characters that were kind of dealing with their own demons, we should have woven them in together so that the whole family felt like this connected, disconnected unit. That's a beautiful way to put it. Like the dad should have still been, it should have been like an everybody's uprising at the end of that movie. Like fuck this world. Yeah, (laughs) Like the dad should have still been, a cheater. The mom could have still been an alcoholic because she was in a broken marriage. I'm not doing myself any good over here. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mom could have still been an alcoholic because she's dealing with broke, both a broken marriage and trying to raise a son who has a pretty severe disorder. And then the daughter could have still been bulimic because she felt left out of the family because the father was an absentee father. The yeah. mother was a mother dealing with her own struggles and by nature, the autistic son has to get more attention because he needs more care. So you could have still had all of these broken characters kind of woven in together and had a bit more of a heartfelt message. Like my favorite movie um, that kind of talks about mental uh, disorders and just struggles within the average life in general is Little Miss Sunshine. Like incredibly beautifully done movie where the uncle is both gay and tries to kill himself. The father is like this very, um, he's, he's kind of a loser, like really wants to be successful and he's very obsessed with the idea of success. So he's, um, kind of like overbears the entire family, like basically makes them all feel like they're losers because he feels like a loser himself. Mm -hmm. The mom, um, I think both smokes and drinks kind of behind his back because she's struggling with the tension of raising this family. The oldest son, um, has taken like a vow of silence and is like this very like emo, won't talk to anyone, won't have anything to do with anyone. Which one is this? Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. It's an incredibly beautiful, powerful movie about. I, I, I heard Eternal Sunshine. And I'm no, like, Eternal Sunshine hell is have incredibly. I not seen this? But I'm sorry, Little <laughs> Miss Sunshine. Yeah, Eter- Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind is incredible, incredibly beautiful movie as well. But as far as like 
Little Miss Sunshine is kind of a dark comedy, um, but as far as like dysfunctional families somehow coming together to work together, it's the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. Like the daughter is the only person in the entire family that's kind of like the pure light in the family. Like she's, that's Abigail Breslin. She, uh, she was in Zombieland. She was mm-hmm. the younger sister in Zombieland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's a little girl in Little Miss Sunshine. Um, she's kind of a dumpy average looking kid who honestly if and that's the purpose of the movie if we're being honest is not going to win a beauty pageant it's like a gilbert grape type yeah. situation and like yeah. her one goal is to win this beauty pageant and her family's kind of like oh i don't know and the dad's like no we're winners we're that's all <laughs> we do we're gonna win and so this like ragtag family makes it their goal to drive across the country to get their girl in this beauty pageant competition at the tell in they finally kind of all come together and like accept their faults and like their love for each other yeah. and it's it's a beautifully done movie about characters struggling with mental illness and there's this beautiful speech where steve carell plays the gay uncle mm-hmm. he's talking to the um the older brother who's like talking about how much he hates high school and how much he can't wait to move away and steve carell basically tells him um, to enjoy high school because it's the worst suffering of your life. Yeah. And he was like, how much you learn from that suffering and, you know, how how beautiful your life goes on to be because of what you suffer through. And it's, it's a beautifully poetic movie about, like, struggling and mental illness and stuff like that. So I to see this movie have such a sad comparison of this little broken family and not take advantage of any of it to just basically write them off as all cardboard characters and not even try to weave in their struggles together. There's so much together. distance between the writing and the story. Yeah. Like, the, direct, like the camera feels a fucking mile and a half away. It feels like a rumor that I'm hearing. But just because we're, we're about to hit time and I have to be sober enough to make hamburgers, uh, Little Miss Sunshine... Yeah. Was that one? A beautiful um, movie about mental illness. The two that I want to recommend, if we're going to talk mental illness and film, um, outside of the classics, you know, go watch Rain Man. That, that, that is autism the first time that they ever really got it, and it's still kind of off. But and A it, Beautiful Mind is a really good movie. Beautiful well. Mind is brilliant. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but Jamie Foxx plays a homeless violinist. We'd have to look up the title. Um, but Jamie Foxx plays a homeless man, and I believe it's a violin. It might be a cello. Uh, cello. Uh, but he gets pulled in by a, an orchestra guy who hears him playing his instrument underneath a highway bridge and they like cleans him up but he's schizophrenic and he doesn't understand what's going on um, and the other one which I saw on release night and it shocked me so fucking hard and I've never bothered to read the book and I will never watch the film again because I, all I remember about it was that I cried my fucking ass off is extremely loud and incredibly close. Have you seen that? I've definitely heard of it. I don't know if I've It's seen about it. an autistic kid who loses his father on 9-11 and how the autistic kid adjusts like in a... Um, What's the book that got John Lennon killed? Catcher in the Rye mm. sort of way, but yeah. from the perspective of a uh, 
autistic child. Radio is a really good one as well. Radio is very good. Uh, that's got Cuba. Um, anything but this film, basically. Anything but this one. I, I'm really happy we had this conversation. I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't even kind of cover this film, but this film upset me at a very great level. And I don't feel like I lost my temper in discussing it. I, the disrespect that it did to mental illness and, you know, Camp 1 and 2, as Stan Hope, you know, <laughs> you know calls them. Um, it was egregious. It was awful. It, it deserved every bit of that 3% for what it did for not doing um, due diligence in its own research it, This is a rough draft by a person who didn't know what they were talking about, and the script got pushed too fast um, here. I feel like, too, which this kind of frustrates me, uh, in the production notes on the Wikipedia, it says that the director made a statement that the story is based on a true story that was relayed to him firsthand many years ago about an actual haunting. So he cared more about, about the haunting. some haunting story that was recounted to him that may have been made up you know it's not like he can know for sure if it was true somebody told him a story and he cared more about let's make this a haunting movie instead of a movie about broken people tell me what's more haunting than you losing your mind that is my theory on horror i think i'm done with zombies i think i'm done zombies should have ended after the civil rights movement they were created for the civil rights movement the exorcist is everything you need to know about mental health i'm sick of people abusing disabled or mentally disturbed <laughs> people uh for their art without doing due diligence to the disorder that you're trying to explain you wouldn't make a film about a black person um, today that you would have made it about you know a black person in 1920 uh, the M. Naughton rule from like 1850 is still our technical definition of insanity so um yeah, we're nuts. We're nuts and we keep your world interesting, I guess is all I have to say here. And why did they use the term Mother Teresa? Well, they didn't Anybody's call, fucking guess. But I'm going to go make Teresa. hamburgers. No, he did. No, he I said did. it directly. But the other thing that Kevin Bacon said, do you have the direct quote that I saved? We don't know what's going on here. No. It was a line that he yelled at his wife. We don't know what's going on here. I had it written down on oh. my notebook paper. I don't know. I don't have your notebook um, paper. They didn't call her I, Mother Teresa. Yeah, they, they did. Her Teresa. She goes, I'm going to go get my mother, Teresa. Oh, whatever. Her, her, the, the, okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> but you can, um, please, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, if you think a, a film did a disorder that you or yours... Um, live with uh, correctly, you can send us an email over at nightmareboxproductions at gmail. Or you can send us a message at Facebook at 
facebook.com slash nightmareboxproductions. Or if you have any sort of uh, disturbance or disorder, um, or, you know, you and yours, you can send us a picture, right? Uh, Instagram, at nightmareboxproductions. Don't send us a picture of the person. Send us a picture of their artwork. Tell us about your experiences at Twitter. Uh, at nightmareboxpro. Or you can go on over to youtube.com slash Kristen Pennington still. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see everything she did. Or she can go to the uh, nightmarebox.blog. The nightmarebox.blog. The nightmarebox.blog where you can see everything that Kristen Bloom has um, put up over there. She's got some pictures, the podcasts, a couple of stories that I've written. I promise I'm going to fucking update it. I, I'm stressed out and I'm tired. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the FBI is, you know watching my ceiling for termites so <laughs> we'll get to it eventually uh did we get them all up i think so yeah thank you for doing this with me i'm, I'm sorry that i drank too much um on the show today but i that conversation really meant a lot you know beyond just a two star i like the new format i love you and thank you. i thank you for being here with me through this crazy life that I hardly <laughs> understand. And, and I love you guys. And we'll talk to you on Friday. Probably about something, you know, not as significant. But I believe in love! <laughs> hey, hey. Knees and toes. Knees and toes. Oh <laughs> my god, my lower back. Lower back. <laughs> All right, that always makes her giggle, and that'll make her giggle next week. All right, I love you guys. Bye.